Now, you should be aware that uh, there wasn't time to sort of change the service order when all of this sort of came to light. So uh, this may be the same service we do next week, which is okay. God's word is uh, uh, never returns to him void, so we can hear it more than once. He may decide to change it. I'm not sure, but do continue to pray for Pastor Fisher. I probably could have changed the readings, but I just didn't think of it uh, until later this morning. So um, again, God's word, every part of it is to our benefit and we can hear it many, many times. So you know, according to the bulletin that you have, that Pastor Fisher was preparing to preach on the true pastoral ministry according to 1 Timothy 4. However, because of his illness, we'll be looking at another passage that I trust is really not a parallel text at all, but does remind us how we ought to live in this present day uh, in which we are waiting for the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if you'll turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, we're really going to look at one verse this morning, uh, primarily within a context, but one verse, I think a very important verse as we consider how we are to live in the current and present time. Now, the pastoral epistles, of course, are very different. Uh, you've been learning that. We've been learning it together from what are called the general epistles, which would be things like Peter and Jude and John, uh, the three epistles. They're general, written to general churches. Peter writes to a, a group of believers who are dispersed throughout the uh, Roman Empire. And so as he writes to them, he has no particular church in target or in view. But even though they're very different in their approach, of course, Titus and Timothy are written to individuals. Their focus is upon pastoral ministry. Uh, even though they are different, uh, there are some things that really do overlap and that we see in both of these letters. For instance, consider the presence of false teachers and false teaching. I think Pastor Fisher made the point early in his a series on 1 Timothy that when you think of the epistles of the New Testament, one of the things is common in every one of them is the opposition that the people to whom the author is writing are facing because of false teaching, false teachers. And so that's very common, certainly very true of Peter's, uh, both of his letters. And then we are seeing in the epistle to 1 Timothy, as well as what we'll see this morning, that there is a focus in both of those, general and uh, specifically these pastoral epistles, a focus on godly living in the midst of the suffering that we experience, the persecution that we face that mark these last days. Last days, of course, beginning with the coming of Christ and ending when he returns again. And so there is a, a, a somewhat of an overlap uh, as we look at these two letters, but uh, certainly Peter has a different aim and focus in mind, and we'll see that this morning. So I trust being familiar with these general themes common to both, that the Lord will bless uh, his word to us this morning. So please stand as we read Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8 and read through verse 14. Verse 14 really is the focus of our study this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, this is God's word. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, 
but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Thus far the reading of God's word, all flesh is as the grass, all its loveliness is like the flower of the field, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Our Father, we are thankful that in the midst of this broken and fallen and chaotic world, there is one uh, standard that never changes. It is your word. It is all that you have promised to us. It is our hope that is rooted, grounded in that word and in the person of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so give us that peace of which Peter here writes. Help us to be in peace and at peace now, we pray. And bless your word to us, to our hearing and growth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I chose this passage perhaps for obvious reasons. The reference here to peace is an important one in the time in which we live. What's happening in the Middle East, of course, what's happening in Israel in places like Armenia, Ukraine, and so many other places. What potentially could have happened and did in some small ways on Friday when there was a call put out and uh, put forth in the whole world for a worldwide jihad. Uh, it's a scary time. It is a scary time in which we live in this world for ourselves, for our children. I mentioned uh, the Wilsons who have, I think he said, some 20 or 30 people uh, that they have as family members in Israel facing all that is happening there. Uh, there are families here in our church that have family in Lebanon, and that uh, nation is also facing uh, being drawn into this conflict that we see happening. And so these things affect all of us as a church family. What affects one affects us all, and we ought to be continually in prayer for one another. But we merely only need to look around to see these things to understand that this world is chaotic. It's full of violence, as the Lord himself uh, tells us in his word the world would be because of our rebellion against him. Remember in our study in Romans, all of the, the external things that we see in the world, all the violence and everything has its root in our alienation from God first. So whether it's the war in the Middle East, whether it's the nations who are destroying nations or terrorism abounding in all parts of the world, whether it's neighbors fighting neighbors or conflicts within families, it doesn't matter. The cause of it all is our alienation from God, our own sin within our own hearts. And that has to be dealt with. That has to be 
addressed if we're ever going to address real and true lasting peace on the earth. Jesus taught us this very clearly when he identified the root cause of these conflicts and the things that defile us. In Mark 7, he said what comes out of the person is what defiles him because what is in him out of the heart of man come things like evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of this evil, Jesus tells us, comes from within, and it's that which defiles a person. That's a picture of our alienation, our separation from God because of our sin. Now, when we come to Peter, Peter is writing to these dispersed believers all over the Roman Empire. He's addressed in the previous section this matter that it will be at Christ's return and only at his return when we will know true peace, that it will be established when he returns and ushers in what is called the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's where peace will finally and fully be realized. But we also, as believers, know that true peace here and now is possible, possible for those who place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they can have a peace with God, that alienation that we're talking about in Romans, uh, accomplished through Christ, and the peace of God that reigns in our hearts, even in the midst of everything we see around us every day. That's really the hope, isn't it? For us who are believers, that we can live in these times, in the midst of these times, and not be given to fear. Though it's always there, always a temptation, we can rest in peace because we have this peace with God and the peace of God, which guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so we are compelled to proclaim the gospel to all, that we meet to everyone. We know that's the answer because it's through the gospel that the enmity of man's heart and his life is dealt with as he rages against God with a clenched fist and raged in war against the Almighty. It's through Christ that peace can come. It is there that the gospel of peace must take root before one will ever realize peace on earth. It is as God subdues the wild and wicked hearts of men and brings true and lasting peace that such a man can become truly peace-loving and peaceable with all men. Our hearts are indeed, we know this, our hearts are wild and restless until they find their rest and peace in Christ. And so this is the biblical pattern. First, peace with God through Jesus Christ. And then the peace of God filling our hearts and making us to know that all is well with our souls, no matter what's happening in the world around us. All of this leads us to what Peter says in the 14th verse here. It's all in context. It's really the conclusion. He's concluding his thoughts in this chapter, of course, in 2 Peter only has three chapters. But verse 14 really begins his final encouragement and admonition. And so we pick up with it here. He's writing again to these believers. His aim is to encourage them in the things of Christ as they wait for his appearing. And that is certainly the immediate context of the verse. He's been speaking about the Lord's coming, which the Lord had promised. 
In the previous section in the verse, there was a question as to how long this will be. The Lord has made this promise before. We're waiting. We don't see it. Where is the promise of his coming? And you know what Peter does. He goes on to say, uh, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. He's telling them God is outside of time. He doesn't follow a timetable that we impose upon him. As he writes to these believers, his focus is to how they ought to live in light of his soon appearance. In Peter's mind, it will be soon. In all of the writers of the New Testament, it will be soon. But soon is relative. We're bound by time, and soon for us means immediately. But in God's economy and God's time, soon means imminent. It's near always before us. And so verse 11, he seeks to show them. If you look at that verse, what kind of people, he says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and of godliness as you pursue and seek to hasten the day of his coming, as you seek to proclaim the gospel to all, as God has promised, none of his elect will perish, not one will be lost. God has his plan. He's accomplishing his plan. But what are we to do in the meantime? How are we to live? This really is Peter's focus here. He's already challenged them to love Christ and his appearing more than the world, which will be refined by the purifying fire of God, so that everything we know, the heavens and earth, will be dissolved and remade into a new heavens and new earth, and it will be firmly established. That's our great hope. And so we ought not to put our confidence, he says, in those things which will pass away, but in those things which remain, that is, in Christ himself and the promises God has given. And then he turns, of course, to verse 14. The therefore says, based on everything I've just said, everything I've written, therefore, because of all of this, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This is one verse one phrase, if you will, and so I want to take each part of the phrase and build an understanding together with you as we look at these words together. First, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, this is the root, Peter says, of true peace as he is writing, the root which leads us more and more to desire the things of heaven rather than earth. We who wait for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells, must look for and desire renewal in ourselves even now. That's really what Peter is talking about. When he talks about being diligent to be found in him, when he talks in verse 11 about living lives of holiness and righteousness, as the heavens and earth will be renewed, so he calls us to inward personal renewal ourselves. Peter is saying that it is because we long for these things and these things are the new heavens and the new earth, the coming of Jesus, that by his grace we will be diligent in all of our duties to put away evil and to seek Christ above all things. That's the kind of life, Peter says, we ought to be living because, he says, we are waiting for these things. We're longing for these things. Calvin says these very helpful words, but they who cleave, they who cleave to their own filth, 
Think nothing is certain of God's kingdom and have no taste for anything but this corrupt world. You see what he says, if we're clinging, if we're cleaving to our own filth, then we think nothing of these things of God's kingdom. All we're thinking about are the things of this corrupted and passing world. And what Peter says, if we're to know true peace, even in the midst of the kind of world we're living in right now, the peace of God which dwells in our hearts, we have to long for, we have to wait for, desire the coming of Jesus Christ. Since we are a people who desire and who are waiting for these things. And then he adds this phrase, simple and direct. Be diligent, he says. Be diligent. The Christian life is always one of diligence. As our brother this morning in talking about their sanctification being a synergistic, a cooperative work between God who does all things well and ourselves who have been made alive and regenerated, that it is a cooperative work. That cooperation from our part is this diligence, this focus. The word diligent here is the same word that's used in verse 12 when he talks about waiting for and hastening the day and the coming day of God. That you might rightly ask, how is it possible that we could hasten? We think that means that if we're diligent, we're going to move the timetable up. That's not what Paul or Peter means here. He doesn't mean that we, by our actions, have any ability to change the timing, which has been predetermined by God, when Jesus will come. It means we're living in this diligence, this striving, this earnestly longing for, this greatly desiring these things. And the things what he desires are going to be talked about in a moment. But this idea of hastening is very, very important. It talks about this earnestly longing for these things. Be diligent then, long to be, strive to be these things that he is called, uh, talking about. This is the call of every believer to be striving for something, to be pursuing something with an aim and a focus, to be undistracted from this pursuit. So Peter, as he looks at this big picture, and he says we're to be longing for, waiting for, praying for, earnestly desiring this coming of the new heavens and the new earth, the coming of our Savior, we are to be diligent, undistracted from the pursuit of holiness. Now, literally, he tells us what it is that we're to be diligent. It's the third phrase, to be diligent, to be found by him, that is by Jesus, without spot or blemish, without spot or blemish, Without spot or blameless is another way to think of it. This is really the source of the peace that Peter writes about here. This is the heart of it, if you will. It's important to understand what Peter is saying here. You look at your own life, you examine your own heart, and you're not going to find a heart and a life that is without spot and without blemish or blameless, are you? I certainly won't as I look at my life. I'm not going to find a life that is blameless before God where I've never done anything in opposition to his will or to his word. 
But, but you see, Peter is setting before us a target, an aim. It's what Calvin, I think, helpfully says. It may be asked when he writes how anyone can be found blameless by Christ, how any of us will be found on the day of his coming to be blameless, when we all labor under so many deficiencies. But Peter here only points out the mark at which the faithful ought to aim, though they cannot ever reach it until having put off their flesh, they become wholly united to Christ. You see, we aim at a target. We aim at a target for which we have been saved, which is conformity unto Jesus Christ. It finally has its full completion in Christ, who alone makes us spotless and clean and blameless. But Peter is talking about our striving to be found that way, to be found that way, to long for that position before God, that we would be spotless and blameless. God is working, Paul says to the Philippians, working in us both to will, to desire, to long for, and to do the things which he has called us to do, his will. It's very much what James says in his letter, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is talking about the same reality that Peter's talking about. The whole goal of our uh, justification, our being made right in standing before God because of the righteousness of Christ is that we would in our lives experience an ever-increasing sanctification, the growth of grace, conformity to Jesus, so that we would be unstained from the world. It's the target we're aiming for, and that which motivates us to be found by him without spot and blameless. And then finally he says, and at peace. This actually occurs in the Greek in the first part, but here in the ESV it's put at the end, and I think it's helpful to be at the end as they translate it. That is to be found at peace in his appearing or at his appearing. Now the peace here, I believe, does refer to that peace of God in our hearts, that peace that says that we are his and that he is ours, that assurance of faith to know that when he returns, he is not only, as we've noted before, our judge, but our savior who delivers us from the wrath to come because of what he has done on the cross. And so passages like Philippians 4 come to mind when we think of Peter saying to be at peace. Do not be anxious, he says, about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then Jesus, speaking to his disciples in John 16, answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each one to his own home, 
and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, Peter's view here is that whenever Jesus comes, will he find us in peace and at peace? Us resting confidently in the knowledge that we belong to him. And so whenever he comes, we are ready. We are ready to go with him because we are at peace. Our hearts are at peace with him through the mercies of God, through the justification that he has given to us in his son. And our hearts are at peace in the midst of the chaos of the world because we know that God is in control and that we belong to him. That's what Peter is saying. We're to strive for this. We're to strive for it all. That's how we're to live the Christian life. Now, we often feel, and I've noted this before, we often feel that we are at the whims of the daily news cycle and the events of our lives that are taking place around the world. We see all kinds of wickedness and evil around us, and we feel the proneness within us to fear. We know according to the scriptures that as we draw nearer to his return, the times will get even more chaotic and more wicked. How can we possibly know and have peace in such times? Well, Peter tells us here what Isaiah said long before, many years before, regarding what God will do for his own children in the midst of this world. You, Lord, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You see, that's the answer. That's exactly what Peter is saying. Trust in the Lord in the midst of this. Pursue diligently the things you are called to do. Aim at being found without spot and without blemish. And rest in and be at peace. Because God is the one in whom we trust. And he is the one who keeps our hearts in that perfect and abiding peace. Three things to consider as we close. Again, this was just very brief and very much focused on this idea of peace. How is it that we can and be found at peace at his appearance? Let's review these three things to remind ourselves. First of all, by earnestly desiring to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's really what he's talking about. That, that's our aim. That's what it means, as we've noted, to be found without spot and without blemish. Is that your great desire in life, Christian, this morning? To be conformed to his image more and more each day? We know we have a standing, a right standing before God. We know that because of our study in Romans, what God has done for us in granting us the justification or the righteousness of Christ. We know that's in our account. We know that we are confident to stand in that before God. But is it our desire that in our daily lives, day by day, that we more and more see those lives conformed and changed more and more into the image of Christ. 
Here we are challenged to see what it is that God has worked in us by his grace. For in the one whom he regenerates, he plants there a beginning and ever-increasing desire to have Christ fully formed in our hearts and for us to be more like him with each and every passing day. Is that your longing and desire as you long for and wait for and seek to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? You can't have peace without that desire. That's what Peter is saying. Secondly, by daily offering to him our sinful hearts and receiving his free and abundant pardon. That's how we'll know that peace as well, by daily offering to him our sinful hearts and receiving his free and abundant pardon. What will we find when we diligently, carefully look at our hearts and seek to prepare ourselves to be without spot and blameless? We will see spots and blemishes. That's what we'll see. We'll see our failures. We'll feel the blameworthiness because we have failed to measure up or to live up to the standard of God's word. How then can we possibly have peace? It is only by coming again and again to the application of Christ's work for us. It is only again and again looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It is that great prayer, you remember it, of David in Psalm 139. As David acknowledges in that psalm that God is everywhere, he sees everything, everything is laid open and bare before him. You remember at the end of that prayer, what he does, and the reflection of his own heart and his understanding of those truths, he says, search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a wonderful prayer. Many of you have probably prayed it for years in your own devotional life, that, that willingness to be seen directly by God as you really are, without fear, without any fear before God, because you know he already knows. It's driven, that prayer is driven by what Peter says here, to be diligent, to pursue, to hasten these things in our own lives. One commentator writes this, and it's a beautiful quote regarding this idea of daily offering to him all our sin, the sin of our hearts and lives, and receiving anew every day his free and abundant pardon. He said, much sweet peace and quietness when Christ comes, whether at death or at judgment, will be found in the spirits of those who make it their serious work in time to have their daily guiltiness washed away by the application of the blood of Jesus and their filthy natures changed by the power of his spirit. We won't ever know this peace and be found at peace when Christ returns unless we daily offer to him our sin, our sinful hearts, our sinful lives, and receive his free and abundant pardon. And then finally, we must recognize as we pull back from 2 Peter 3 to the larger and bigger picture of all of this, we must recognize our utter dependence upon his grace in everything. 
As much as we talk about the synergism and the working together with God in our sanctification, we understand that in the end, all of salvation is of the Lord. This whole process from beginning to end, from the beginning of our being made alive in regeneration to the end, our glorification before his presence on that great day of judgment, the whole thing beginning to end is of his grace and we are utterly dependent upon that grace. It's never our works as we're learning in Romans. It's never our own efforts as the Bible makes clear, it is only by the work of God. It is Jonah in the whale's belly or the great fish's belly saying salvation is of the Lord. It began by his grace. It continues throughout our lives by his grace so that we may utterly be dependent upon him for even the will and the desire to do these things. As we come by the grace of God to possess justification, all by his grace, a right standing with God in Christ, as we've been studying in Romans, we necessarily, because of that ongoing grace, we necessarily pursue the other, sanctification, a growth in holiness and conformity to Christ's character. That's where all of this comes to its focus, where the peace is really found, knowing that we possess justification and are pursuing sanctification, both the work of his grace in our daily lives, we will be found when he returns at peace, no matter what the circumstances of our individual lives or the world in which we live. This is a great reminder in the times in which we live today where our hearts are tempted to be given over to fear I said to someone the other day, you know, our brothers and sisters who are dispensational, who have those views of the end times that include Israel and all the attacks and wars, they're having a field day now. And, and I'm watching people saying, oh, but pastor, isn't this scary that this may be? No, there's no fear. I don't know what the end will be. I know that Christ will return. That's what I know. But we're not to be given to fear. We're to be given to be at peace. And this is the way, Peter says, that we will be and can be at peace. I think Matthew Henry, as we close, says it best. Those whose sins are pardoned and their peace made with God are the only safe and happy people. The only safe and happy people. Therefore, follow after peace and that with all. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace in our own consciences through the spirit of grace, witnessing with our spirits that we are God's children. And peace with men by having a calm and peaceable disposition wrought in us, resembling that of our blessed Lord. That means in such times as we live today or any times that the Lord is pleased to bring into our lives, stayed upon Jehovah, our minds fixed upon him, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised us, perfect peace, perfect peace and rest. Let us pray. Father, this peace is something that often we cannot find. Our hearts are given so much to fear, but we would long for and pursue this peace, to be at peace when you return, 
to be at peace because we know the work of your grace in our lives, to be at peace because that alienation is now resolved in Christ, to be at peace with our neighbors and even with ourselves as we realize all that you have done for us by your grace. And so keep us, Lord, we pray in that perfect peace. Help our minds to be stayed upon you, to be fixed upon our Savior and the glory that is to come. And help us to live in such a way that we might bring glory and honor and blessing to him, even as we long for his appearing and desire to be found in peace in him. We ask this with thanksgiving and great hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.